Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our second podcast about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In our last episode, we talked about Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, and we talked about the man himself who lived out to the last ounce the meaning of discipleship, sacrificing his life to save the lives of Jewish people during the Holocaust. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about a very intriguing term coined by Bonhoeffer, and that term is cheap grace, and the alternative recommended by Bonhoeffer to all Christians, costly grace. Related to this idea of cheap grace, we also want to address a rather new phenomenon of the church the seeker-friendly church. Since the 1970s, many fast-growing churches have emphasized creating a church environment that appeals to the unchurched. Some of these aspects are simply related to music styles or casual clothing, perhaps even the installation of a coffee bar. However, it's important to ask if perhaps some churches have gone too far in their attempts to appeal to the unchurched and have created an atmosphere that looks a lot more like it is of the world rather than being set apart from the world. Is this whole seeker-friendly church concept just an extension of Bonhoeffer's idea of cheap grace? After this message, let's talk about cheap grace and let's talk Torah. Long ago, God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, as the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind in the world. If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, read Declaring the End from the Beginning, Our Past and Future Revealed in the Biblical Feasts. In this book, author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past and how he will fulfill the other three when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the Biblical Feasts. Great to have you back, everybody, for our our second uh, podcast uh, related to or about the amazing man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Gary, you and I have just um, been very impressed by everything this man did in his life. Yeah, I think, you know, when we think about the time uh, in history that he lived, um, he couldn't have been put to a greater test, yeah. oh. and and he passed. I mean, he passed. And I I think I think he he maybe had uh, some of his ideas and thoughts and things that he wrote may have changed over the years. Face you know when I was reading recently about um, maybe more of a, a very passive. 
type of Christian that uh, he was describing in some of the chapters of his book. And I think that probably changed uh, when he was confronted with he well, was anything but passive. Doing. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that yeah. that is interesting as you read through the book, which yeah. I highly recommend mm-hmm. to everybody in our audience. We're just really touching on the surface yes. of a lot of Bonhoeffer. And there's just so much to chew on in that book. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would highly, highly recommend it. But we're going to start just to get you give you a little taste of this. Uh, Gary's going to start by reading from the beginning um, of Bonhoeffer's book and the cost of discipleship. And this is where he brings up or addresses, uh, starts to address this concept of cheap grace. So Gary, if you could just read a little bit, then we'll, we'll start uh, dissecting all of this. All right, we'll do. And he makes an incredibly bold statement right off the get-go here. So, uh, all right. Costly grace. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sins, and the consolation of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury, from which she showers blessing with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance, and because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibility of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it weren't if it were not cheap? Wow, so you're right, right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> this man says that cheap grace is the deadly enemy yeah. of the church. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's that just grabbed my attention in the first sentence because it's very bold. It is very bold and you know you you mentioned in the opening about the phenomenon of a seeker friendly church that's that did not exist in Bonhoeffer's day yet he recognized something that had watered down the word of god even in his day and obviously we know it still exists today absolutely so you know he says in this opening paragraph this is grace without price grace without cost mm. gary you and i have talked about this before um and we're going to talk about talk about it more today um is this idea of god's grace without any cost or any price to that who re- to those who receive it what do you do once you have this grace you know does mm. nothing change in your life is this just this free gift and voila you're on your way you got your ticket to heaven right everything's good that's what they, that's what uh, he's addressing here and you know it's funny you mentioned the ticket to heaven I remember uh, um, being at the hospital visiting with somebody who was raised, I guess, raised a Catholic, um, but is now a professing atheist. But yet when he had a heart attack, he laid there in bed saying, well, I had my ticket punched when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's exactly the attitude, you know, this idea that, well, you know, the cost has been paid. But for all of us, my ticket is punched, and then it, pun- yeah, and, and I he was an it. atheist at that point. Yeah, it just, it, you know, but it. Well, that's the extreme it case. It was an extreme, that. but I, 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 that was a, I had the, uh, the wow, the, uh, <laughs> the, I was an eyewitness to that. You know, so you know, uh, Bonhoeffer, he just unapologetically 
rejected what he saw as this as the church's cheap grace in favor of what he said was costly grace. Mm-hmm. And he believed it was that cheap grace that set the stage for the rise of Nazism, and it stood in the way of the rescue of the Jewish people by the church. It stood in the way of the church responding in an appropriate manner to what they were seeing yeah. and knew to be going on in the country at the time. And he said, he, he actually says this cheap grace stood in the way of true discipleship, true faith, and yes, even salvation, because mm. it's really based on a lie. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. It really is based on a lie. Without the true north, the true the covenant of the Torah, mm-hmm. and yet something comes along and can become a quick substitute. In this case, you know, this national ultra nationalism, this Nazi party that that seemed to be saving them from their their financial woes, and and you know that, that at first seemed to be something of of great value, um, that became more important in, in not recognizing that this was completely contrary to the word of God. Absolutely. You know, for Bonhoeffer, the church's response to Hitler and the rise of Nazism is where. You might say the rubber hits the road, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if the church could not or would not stand up for the oppressed Jewish people, and not not to mention the rest of German, the German people too, okay, mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. they were suffering, then the church had lost its salt and was only worthy of being thrown out and trampled underfoot. Absolutely. There was no point in it. Mm-hmm. There's no point in it anymore. If they're not going to do anything, if they're not going to be any different, if they're not going to respond in any positive Christ-like way... What's, there's no point in it. There's no point in it. It's it's no different than a social club, and, and I you know I've often compared some of the churches today to that, but they obviously existed here as well, this many years ago, over eighty years ago. Um, just a social club. Just an, I, I call myself a Christian, like I would call myself a member of the Moose Lodge exactly. or something like that. You yes. just go and you attend once a, a week, and uh, you know say hello to everybody, dressed in your finest clothes, and go home. But no no life changing experience. You know. Bonhoeffer was talking about something that is the essence of what you and I talk about all the time, this supposed friction, I'm mm-hmm. not sure, between grace and obedience, mm. that there has it has to be one or the other. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange phenomenon that, that that exists. We know that to exist. We've heard it so often, this idea of, you know, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, or... Uh, it, there is no conflict, Kathy. We've talked right. about this. Grace was, was is, is a gift from God. To, it's the power to, to for us to approach Him. He gives us that power to to reciprocate because He initiates. Right. It's, it's God the beginning. Who it's really the beginning of this whole relationship. Exactly. It's not the end. Right. It's the beginning. That's that's a good way to look at it because He initiates the contact. You know, in the case of Abraham, you know, the, He He initiated this this um, uh, process of, re, of of restoration. And what did Abraham do? He responded. He reciprocated. He he obeyed. He, you know, he did what God told him to exactly. do. Exactly, <laughs> and that that has not it changed. It seems so simple, and yet it, it has it. gotten so convoluted. It has, you know, uh, from within the paradigm that the church has been operating. As if obedience was a bad thing. Exactly. You know, Bonhoeffer saw within the church a willingness to accept God's grace for remission of sin, but not a willingness to accept the responsibility that comes with grace. Mm. And that's the responsibility of obedience um, to the source of that grace, that obedience to God, as you were saying. And, you know, it kind of 
It reminds me of Israel. We're exactly like Israel, right? God took them out of Egypt. There's mm-hmm. the grace and brought them to Mount Sinai. There's the obedience part. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's that simple. And, and, you know, you mentioned the word responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I, that reminds me of Esau. You know, Esau was offered, you know, the, the inheritance, but he did not want the responsibility of leading the tribes, you know, leading, leading the way as the light to the nations. And that's what Jacob took on. Right. Know. And he responded to his fleshly desires yes. immediately yes. Um, and, and wanted that bowl of soup or yeah. whatever and yeah. gave up. Yeah. Gave up his inheritance for that. And I think that's a, that's that same. It's a similar response here. We're giving up this incredible, incredible inheritance, this incredible, incredible relationship by uh, by taking on the responsibility, by accepting that responsibility as a re, as a love response to the grace offered to us. We 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 were, we're given such a beautiful gift. And yet we reject it for our own desires. Right. You know, Israel was willing to accept that God rescued them from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, they're removed from servitude. They're no longer slaves, but they weren't willing to make the next step to submit now to service to God, because we know we are going to always serve someone. Yes. Okay. Or something. Okay. However mm-hmm. you want to say that. Um, so even though they stood at the foot of the mountain, they said, we will do all these things they didn't really mean that in their heart they Sadly. didn't they, they didn't walk that out and this is really the essence of what Bonhoeffer's idea of cheap grace is about accepting grace and not responsibility but yeah you know we we just passed through not long ago the Torah portion about the red heifer remember we discussed yes. that idea that the heifer would have been had to have been a an animal that had never been yoked uh, remember that? Oh, that was a fascinating yeah, concept. Yeah, and, we, and, we, and I think about here is what we're saying is we want we want that we don't want God's yoke. We want to be you know free, free and that. wild. Yes, and free and wild, <laughs> and that unfortunately puts us in bondage, whether we know it or not. Um, but oh, that, but yes. you know, Yeshua said his, his burden was easy, his yoke was light. Uh, the, the Torah is an instruction that. It's the instructions that makes your path straight. It makes the burden easy, and yet we look at it just the opposite. We the see it as exact opposite, some kind of bondage. That's why you have that idea of t- teshuva, where you just turn and make an 180 mm-hmm. degree turn because we think we're going after it the right way and make our life good, and then we're like, "Oop, no, we're exactly." opposite, opposite. Yeah. of what God says. And, and, and it is idolatry because we're making ourselves to be God. Exactly. Yeah. You know, one of the most famous quotes from the Bonhoeffer's book is, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, mm-hmm. baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. You know, you look at this idea of forgiveness without repentance. The very basic, the gospel message is repent. That's right. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Absolutely. Okay. It's we've talked about this before. It's not that Jesus died and rose again. You know, died for your sins and rose again because the 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 gospel message was re, was preached to Abraham, as Paul mm-hmm. tells us. They were going out with the gospel before Jesus even died. Correct. You know. So what yes. was he telling them to say? Repent. Turn 180 degrees to Shuva. The kingdom is near. And so we have to turn. 
turn from following after our own ways and coming back uh, and now going back to God. And I loved what Bonhoeffer said. I'm just going to, we're going to do some direct quotes from the book because I can't really say it better. No, they can't be improved <laughs> no upon. Point. No, they can't be improved upon. They're very powerful. So he said, he said when he's talking about this idea of cheap, cheap grace, he goes, this is from the mindset of someone who's received this grace. And he thinks, I can go and sin as much as I like and rely on this grace to forgive me. I can cling to my bourgeois uh, <laughs> secular existence and remain as I was before, but with the added assurance that the grace of God will cover me. It is under the influence of this kind of grace that the world was made Christian. Big point. Mm. Christian life comes to me nothing more than living in the world and as the world in being no different from the world. My only duty as a Christian is to leave the world for an hour or so on Sunday morning and go to church to be assured that my sins are forgiven. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, he he mentioned something along the way of justification of the sinner has become the justification of sin. You know, I because they, this idea, yeah, this idea of um, you know all the all the price has been paid, so I can just go about my my normal life. Exactly. Just just go to church on Sunday. Exactly. You know, he says, you know, I I think that what Bonhoeffer wrote, maybe excluding bourgeois, bourgeois secular existence, we wouldn't necessarily say that today, but secular. Most people don't use that word anymore. That's probably true. (laughs) Oh, that's a good word. Yeah, very common. Um, But... um, I would say what 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 I what I just quoted from his book is there's nothing new under the sun today that with this type of thinking the church is in essence looks exactly like the world you know how many churches today preach the love of christ without preaching the discipline of christ Mm. okay nobody wants that discipline right you want your coffee and your feel good and all that and and what did what did he live what did yeshua live but the torah he was exactly he was the personification of the torah you know, so, so, so we get into these places like we have, you like, we look at the woke church today uh, and we're like, how did we get here? Yeah. This is how we got this here. Is this is here. one yeah. part yeah. of how we got here. Yeah. If you don't have a universal code of conduct, then anything goes in that, that both in the world and in the church. And how many times it, and you hear from the world and from the church, it's all about love. It's just about love. It's just about love. Right. Love is one part of the equation, but it is not all about that in any no, way. And, and love cannot be defined outside of the Torah, in my opinion. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, that's how we get to a church that within the church, they're condoning behaviors that God said no to, like homosexual behaviors, um, condoning and promoting gay marriage, support for abortion. That's happening within quote unquote churches. Okay. Um, And the whole trans agenda and everything. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we're not talking, I I want to make it clear, we're not talking about um, not truly loving, broken, confused, hurting people. The church is all, is supposed to be all about that. Oh, absolutely. Okay? We're supposed to be doing that in the way that Christ would. But, you know, that is a far, far cry from some of the so-called churches, what they're doing now, in literally rewriting God's words, rearranging God's order, and in effect, like you said, it's idolatry making themselves out to be God. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, Kathy. Everything you said, because I think um, 
you know, cheap grace is, is synonymous with religion, in my opinion. Mm, yes. I, I, as I thought about this and I thought about all the description, you know, things that we're talking about here, I said cheap grace is basically just religion because religion is a set of rules that you think if you go through the motions and you do them just right, that everything will be cool, right? right. You know, there, there's there's no there's no repentance, there's no real commitment to God's word. It's just check marks. You know, it's like, just yeah, check marks. Right. No intimate relationship with our Creator. I mean, it's lip service. It's not life changing. It's it's church attendance, not obedience, and it's surely not what God wants from His children. Uh, no, not at all. And I find it fascinating that. Bonhoeffer was recognizing that as the greatest of the church's problems at the time. Yeah. Um, I, I must, you know, I'm wondering if this whole idea of cheap grace actually didn't start back with the, maybe before, but at least with Constantine. I think so. You know, and maybe and maybe it'll even a little bit before, but right. I think so. Because you know, you get this whole idea that okay, he makes his his kingdom Christian, mm -hmm. but but he doesn't really do all he says is okay. What were you doing before? We're gonna now just call that Christian. Yeah. Okay, you're worshiping on Sunday. Okay, we'll call that Christian. Let's just make it Sunday the day of yeah. worship. The king of syncretism. Pretty easy. Right? Yeah. The syncretism yeah. doing exactly what this the 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 world is doing, but put putting that little label on yeah. that says Christian. I think that's what Bonhoeffer has recognized here. I honestly do. I think when you, when you read what you did, um, I think he was pointing to the fact that the world became Christian. When he whatever was talking, that means. Whatever that means. I think he recognized the fact that you have disciples of Yeshua. He talks so much about true disciples in his book. You had true disciples m walking in this movement, which was the restoration of walking, you know, fulfilling Torah, and then it and it slowly, as the disciples died, slowly became corrupted and, and corrupted and corrupted to the point where it was codified in 325 A.D. Um, and so I think I think Bonhoeffer recognized that. I think what he was pushing for is what I believe what you and I are pushing for to a, re a return to what it was in the first century, just followers of Yeshua who were following the Torah. Yes, and I guess that this is the cycle that just keeps mm -hmm. come coming over and over. There's, you know, we we read about it in the book of Judges, mm -hmm. and Israel falls away, and all sorts of stuff happens, and then they get a new judge, and and they they return. Yeah. And I, I don't know how many times I, I've never counted how many times that I, happens in the book of Judges, but yeah. right, but but it happens over and over mm -hmm. and over that cycle. You know, um, another quote from the book, uh, Bonhoeffer said that costly grace. Okay, now this is the opposite of cheap grace, and this is the one that he is promoting. Yes. Okay? Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. Amen. The pearl of great price. Okay, this is what the parables were talking about. Mm -hmm. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Costly grace must be protected from the world. It must not be thrown to the dogs. Mm -hmm. You know, how that's the pearl. That's that's what's so special. But, you know, when you're dealing with cheap grace, you don't recognize that pearl. You don't know the value of that. You don't you don't have that pearl. Well said. And I think that is what that's why people will fall away, uh, get their faith shook 
somebody, a loved one dies or something happens, a tragedy, God is blamed and people fall away because they have failed to go to this level of understanding. You know, we things are going to happen in our lifetime, but if you have this this treasure, this pearl of great price, which is it, it's an understanding of the big picture and what God is doing and who He is, and you have true relationship with Him, you will weather those storms. Yes. And, and, but if you don't, you th- that's where people fall away so quickly. You know, it's similar, uh, Gary, you and I have both been going through some really tough times with some family members and mm-hmm. illness and so forth. And I, I, I was reading, in fact, it came up on Facebook, and believe it or not, <laughs> but it was a good reminder. I'm like, Facebook, do you know what I'm going through right now? Because, <laughs> And it, was, it said something to the effect of, if you're going through tough times, don't ask why, ask what is God trying to teach me mm. in this? And <laughs> I've had to remember that, you know, that we're going to go through tough times, but if we hold on to that pearl, we're like, okay, God, I trust you're with me in this. What are you trying to show me? What do I need to hold on to? What do I need to get rid of, you know, um, mm-hmm. to, to, to stay, to stay the course, to stand yeah. the ground, yeah. to not be uh, taken off guard, you know. Um, but that's that, that, that's that pearl of great price. You know, Bonhoeffer also said, such grace is costly because it causes us to follow. And mm-hmm. it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. Amen. It's costly because it costs a man his life, and it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justified the sinner. And above all, it's costly because it cost God the life of his son. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Amen. 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 <laughs> Amen. And I, I, I agree with you for just reading it verbatim because he, he said it so well. I mean, I think he also he also said, I've, I've put down a couple of notes as I was reading, mm-hmm. um, that uh, Christianity secularized. Secularize. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Due to cheap grace. And the response of the disciple is the act of obedience, not a confession of faith in Jesus. Yes, yes. You know, we think we can just say the right formula words, put them together uh, without the without the repentance, without the obedience. Right. And that's that has cheapened the grace. And uh, he also mm-hmm. said obedience is both the consequence and the presupposition of faith. I, mean, I love that. Isn't that beautiful? I, I love mean, that. I love that. You know, he, he was saying that Christians who have adopted this cheap grace think they've kind of snagged onto something pretty cool, okay? This is <laughs> great. I got my ticket. I right. can go on, punch my ticket. and But he goes, in reality, they've cheated themselves out of the true meaning and purpose of following Christ. The true meaning and purpose of following Christ really isn't that ticket to heaven. Right. It's really not. It's how we live out our life here on earth and that relationship that we develop uh, here on earth. And and as we treat our fellow man and our relationship with, with God, um, he said, having laid hold of cheap grace, they're barred forever from the knowledge of costly grace. Mm. Deceived and weakened, men felt that they were strong now that they are in possession of cheap grace, whereas they had, in fact, lost the power to live the life of discipleship and obedience. 
Amen. You know, amen again. Amen again. <laughs> and and here's the word of God that supports exactly what he just said. If you read Second Timothy verse three, one through seven. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, not unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power. And from such people turn away. Oh, I like that. Turn, Where was that again? This is 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Okay, I read, so having a form of godliness, but denying the power, that's exactly what he just... Power. I believe that's exactly what Bonhoeffer was referring to here, yes. because that's not talking to the world. That's talking to people who are of the church, because they have a form of godliness. You know, we, we, we dress up again in our Sunday best, and that doesn't even happen anymore. But uh, going people going to, to church and, and having this idea or this, uh, this image to uphold, that they are Christian, that they are somehow uh, different, but they're not different. If we read those that description, that's not different. I, that is the you world. You know, I find that really powerful, and it reminded me again that all of these letters, you know, in our New Testament that Paul mm -hmm. wrote or, or whoever wrote these, they are written to the church, the believers. Exactly. It's, what you're right. So what he was just describing was not the pagan world. Exactly. This is not for the pagan world at all. None of these instructions are for the pagan world, although the pagans would benefit from people even themselves mm -hmm. doing that, right? But but the instructions are for a redeemed people. Yeah, he's addressing problems that they recognize. Again, nothing mm -hmm. new under the sun. So we're we're living in with the same issues today. Yes, you know, I I'd, I'd love the concept of the power of obedience. It, it that is really really strong, and we need to be practicing that obedience now. You know, maybe when life isn't as hard, right. right? You know, and we don't need as much as the power that we may need in the future. Mm. But if we haven't been practicing this obedience, yeah. then we will get blown away, mm -hmm. you know, with the storms. We'll be tossed to and fro, yeah. and we may not stand. And that's not just cliche, Kathy. I mean, you know, you could, we could use a sports analogy here, you know, muscle memory. Why do you practice? Is that when, when you're faced in a situation, your body automatically reacts in a, in a way that you've trained it to, rea to react. That's the same thing with our faith. If we're living it every day, then when those situations change, your body should continue, you should continue to, uh, to respond and react the same way you always have. And, and I like that, that idea, you know, that I, this idea is connected with the concept of, you know, discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? You know, it's related to the word discipline, okay, all together. Mm -hmm. And no one likes that idea of being disciplined in our world, okay? It kind of implies correction, some pain. Hmm. But in the word, the word discipline in reality means training someone to obey a code of conduct. Right. Torah. Amen. This is discipline, training them to obey the, the Torah. It's not an arbitrary code. It's God's code. It's set up for our benefit. And the discipline of a disciple is training us up to, to obey Torah. That is, that is so important to remember 
Um, that And yes, it does involve pain sometimes. Mm-hmm. It involves self-sacrifice. You know, um, my daughter and her husband have been um, in practicing um, fasting and felt like God was calling them to do this, to practice the idea of, of overcoming the flesh mm-hmm. and the desires of the flesh. Um, you know, we're talking about just a short period of time, sure. but that practice of overcoming the flesh is invaluable because that's what we'll be called to do and maybe in greater and greater ways in the future. But if we have not practiced it, it, there's no way it's like jumping off the bench and thinking we're going to, okay, I'm not a football person, but okay, make a touchdown. Okay. And you have not rehearsed, rehearsed. Okay. Now I'm switching analogies. <laughs> now you're back to your, your theater days. I'm back days. to my theater days. That's okay. 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 So now I'll switch totally. Okay. We'll think about theater. You haven't rehearsed and thinking you're going to go on and right. lead the show. Yeah. Oh, okay. I feel much more comfortable. You're more comfortable now. with that analogy. I'm sure I can see that. <laughs> But, you know, um, so we're told in God's word in Deuteronomy 5, be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You're not to turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land you will possess. Think about this. The obedience is for the purpose of living and prospering. Well, and the church is saying, that, right? don't do it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing dichotomy here. I mean, you know, this this idea that somehow obedience to God's word has become a dirty word or, you know, a bad yes. thing. Yes. I, it, I, it's phenomenal. How, the, the Satan was is, so effective. Oh, oh incredible. So effective in that. You know, in Deuteronomy 30, it says, This day, this is one of my favorite verses, I call heaven and earth as witnesses, there's your two witnesses mm-hmm. against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Mm. Um, I, I love that idea that we get this choice, okay, to choose life. If God doesn't give us the gift of grace, we don't even get to choose. That's right. Okay? That's what allows us to make that choice to choose Him. Okay? Exactly. Once again, you know, grace being the power for us to approach Him. Yes. I think that is, that is such a... A, a better way to look at grace than than this idea of the cheap grace. Exactly. It's, it's something, it's a gift that gives us the ability to to approach our God and then respond, become and choose, and be obedient, choose, choose Him, yeah. choose obedience, yeah. choose life. Yeah. You know, this says choose life, and 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 Yeshua said, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." So choose life, choose Yeshua, mm-hmm. right? But you know what else is life? Deuteronomy 32 says this, and I love it. Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of the Torah. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. There it is. Yeshua is life. Torah is life. There it is. Yeshua is the word. He, the word is, he is Yeshua. It. He again. personified yeah. it. This is choosing life, 
Choosing Torah is choosing life. Choosing Yeshua is choosing mm-hmm. life. It's the same thing. And, and doesn't it make the word so much more consistent? We we have we have created this this conflict. Uh, you know, the Christian a world is created. False conflict. Yeah, it's yes. a false conflict. It is. It's it's beautifully woven from from beginning Genesis to, to Revelation. Yes. yes, beginning to end. And yet we we somehow think that everything changed. When, uh, when we started reading the book of Matthew, all life has changed. Everything is different it's now. Not, it's not you the know, case. we said earlier, you know, God's instructions are only for redeemed people. He He rescued Israel from, from Egypt and he brought him to Mount Sinai. He could have rescued uh, Israel from Egypt and just left them wandering around in the desert, mm-hmm. okay? And then the Amalekites and whoever else could have picked them <laughs> off and the, yeah. and the wild animals and yeah. all of that. But he brings them to Mount Sinai. Sinai to receive his instructions right there. He gives them a pathway in the wilderness. You know, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Um, That's continuing in that grace that he didn't just rescue and then leave you on your own. That's right. That wouldn't work for us either. No, it doesn't he, work. He, we see it's not working. We know, yeah, man left to his own desires. Exactly. Right? We know even better. if you've become a redeemed, even if you've been rescued, right? If you are then just left to your own, then you, then you quickly, quickly fall away quickly. How long did it take uh, to build the golden calf? I mean, Uh, come on, that was so fast. (laughs) Yeah. And and then just, you mentioned the book of judges a moment ago, you know, just over and over and over, which is why we have to teach our children over and over and over. You know, we've talked about Satan's done a really good job convincing the church that obedience to God's Torah is sin. That's yeah. really what they're saying, okay? They call it legalism. They call it legalism, but they're saying you're sinning. So I, my own question always is when, when people um, question why would you keep the Sabbath or why would you keep the, the dietary laws, I, said, I would ask them, is it legalism to refrain from murder? Right. I, don't, I haven't had anybody yet say, saying, yes, yes, it's legalism. That's legalism. No, don't that, do that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good thing. And, and it's a commandment. It's no different than the other commandments. It's not legalism. It's a good thing. Right. It's a good commandment. It's a good instruction. Right. And we should follow it. And it's it. life. It's life. That's right. You know, Bonhoeffer talked about this. He said, the word of cheap grace has been the ruin of more Christians than any commandment of works. Mm. Okay. That's pretty packed in there. Okay. Because when he's talking about commandment of works, he is talking about that concept, you know, that the church is always like, oh, you're going to be legalistic. You're trying to earn your way into heaven. And he's going, he's going, that has not been the ruin of more people Cheap grace, Cheap grace has, has been the yeah. ruin of more people. It has, because it's destroyed that intimate connection with our Father through that obedience. And it, I'm telling you, it's the deception at the highest order. It's a deception it's and a lie, right? Yeah. At the very, you know, he also talks about a faith that kind of just exists within your one, one person's mm-hmm. head. Okay. Not just, it's not just something you say, right. uh, like the, the confessions within a church. I believe this, you know, the church always has their confessions. Right. I believe I believe this, I believe that. Okay, that's true. You can believe those things, but if that stops in your head, that's not really doing any good for us, right? Yeah. So is he says the response of the disciple is an act of obedience, not a confession of faith Mm. in Jesus. Okay, I I love that. That's not we 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 try to get people there in, in the church is that confession of faith. 
that's the starting point, just Gary. The beginning. It's just it's, the beginning. If they that's could just, not the just end point. That there's something else, and that's just the starting. That's point. That's just it. Yeah. It's just the basics. You know, you look at uh, even in Mark two when Jesus calls Levi, he says, he says to get up. He said, follow me. He goes, follow me. Right. Okay. Now you have to trust in your head and in your heart. Now get up and go mm -hmm. follow, mm -hmm. walk like me, and walk as did. I have done. And each of those disciples did yeah. that, yeah. you know, um, so it's not a mental or a verbal, like, I agree with you, God, gotcha, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I'm saved. It's not that. Of course, James talks about that in chapter 2, and he says, You have faith, and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Mm. You believe that God is one. Good for you. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That's powerful. Oh, yes. That's powerful, because, yeah, it's not just a, a, a head acknowledgement. It's not just that belief. There has to be something to back it up that shows that you truly believe that. And and that kind of gets into our Greek versus Hebraic mm -hmm. way of thinking, where it's all in the head. Mm -hmm. James also goes on and says, foolish man. Now listen, foolish. I, I love when the Bible uses foolish, okay? <laughs> not afraid to mince words here. Right. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is worthless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Amen again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by this faith belief alone. Right. And, and you know, we, we've often referenced the fact that in Hebrew, imunah, is faithfulness. Yes. It's an action. Doing. It, it's doing, yes. Yes. Bonhoeffer said, only he who believes is obedient, and only he mm -hmm. who is obedient believes. That can take some time to think through, too. <laughs> That's it's, it's, each one of so his sentences. Yeah. Each one of his sentences, I literally had to stop and just really think through. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you could do a, a whole podcast on each one of them, you know. Oh, he was a brilliant man. As obviously. a brilliant, brilliant man. He said also, um, the gracious call of God becomes a stern command. Do this, give up that, leave the ship and come to me. When a man says he, he cannot obey the call of Jesus because he believes or because he doesn't believe, Jesus says, first obey, perform the external work, renounce your attachments, give up the obstacles which separate you from the will of God. I love that too. You know, I have some background in psychology and there was this behavioral psychology and it was based on the idea that your 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 thoughts and feelings follow your behavior. Mm. Do the behavior if, if you wait till you're not depressed to go do something you enjoy doing, that you'll, you'll always, wait forever. You'll go do the thing, do it, and then the thoughts and the feelings will follow. Yeah, there's so much truth to that. Yes. And, and we see examples of that, I think, in Scripture when we see they had to put their foot in the Jordan before the water stopped flowing. They had to step into the, the Red Sea before God parted the water. You know, there was, uh, there was uh, Peter where they were, they were praying for him 
and yeah, here he was knocking at the gate. Yes. You know? It's like, uh, yeah, there, there's a point. Action, action is that is that uh, evidence of faith. Yes. You know that, that yes. you've got to do it. Yes. Bonhoeffer said, how can you hope to enter into communion with him when at some point in your life you're running away from him? And I'm going to ask the audience, Mm. do you find yourself running from God's commandments, like giving excuses for why you can't or you won't obey? Is it because of something you've been taught in the church? Does your obedience make someone else you know or care about uncomfortable? You know, let's face it, the... The obstacles for many of us in obedience, in a deeper level of obedience, often come from friends and family. That's true. Right, Gary? I mean, I mean, because yeah. I don't really care what the guy down the street thinks about my obedience, okay? Right, right. It's my close friends, my close family mm-hmm. that I care about. And, you know, so are these people standing in the way of obedience because but, you don't want to offend them because you don't want to yeah. offend them then yeah. who do you end up offending Offending God yes yeah. and you come up with your excuses mm-hmm. and and you give God all these excuses why you're not going to obey but if it's a person you know Jesus addressed this if anyone comes to me and does not hate. Now, the Hebrew idea is reject, okay? Reject father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. You can't be any clearer than that. We're we're talking about people here today that are not mincing words. Bonhoeffer and Yeshua. They never (laughs) did. He never did either, did he? James didn't either. Um, So, you know... This idea that I'm going to offend my pastor, I'm going to offend anybody in my family Mm -hmm. by my obedience, this is addressed directly here. If that's the case, choose who you're going to serve. You're going to serve man or you're going to serve God. Right. Right. I know, I know, know, we all both know from experience, you know, issues like the holidays, you know, would come up and you you had to make a decision. Am I going to continue to participate in idolatry, uh, things that I know to have pagan origins and no longer, uh, I mean, they're not, they don't have their grounding in in the, the feast of the Lord and things of that nature. Am I going to do that to please family and friends or am i going to do what god asked me to do and we've made that decision that's right and, and i you know, and we have to continue to make it Gary. We, I mean, yeah all yeah the time. i mean it gets easier over time because we practice we've we practiced that muscle yeah. you know memory kind mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. but i i know it's hard i know for anybody in our audience who's who's new to this this is a this is a this is a a choice. Yes. Okay. You choose life, choose life. And, and but it's not always easy. And right. I recognize that. And we've been through that and we continue to go through that. But but I guarantee you, I guarantee you that this choice is life. This is the choice. This Amen. is the um you will not regret this choice. If you truly believe that this is God's word, and we do, then that is a fact. Sure, sure than we are sitting here speaking it on this podcast, it's a fact that God. If God said it, it's it's the truth. So mm-hmm. if you have to make that choice, you, it has to be real to you. Right. It has. To, you have to know that this is God's word, and not well. You know, there are a lot of holy books, yes. or there, you know, there's a lot of different ways to interpret. No. 
look, it's cut and dry. Yes. These, these are commandments of God. You know, my daughter has always said, you know, how real is your faith if someone can talk you out of it? I, I think that that's pretty profound, love, right? especially yeah. someone you love. And that's usually who it's always going yeah. to be, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, how real is your faith if, if someone can do that? And, you know, and what happens when your faith is up against a much more formidable foe mm-hmm. than like a mother, father, sister, brother, pastor, like the Nazis in Bonhoeffer's exactly. time, right? Exactly. What happens when you come up against mm-hmm. that if you have not practiced this following and this obedience earlier? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was faced with that challenge, too, this idea of, you know, you're a pastor, you know, and you're going to lie or deceive. or you're, But he had, to, he had to understand the great, the weightier issue here was the life, the people who were, who were dying by, in this case, the millions. Yes. Um, and he wanted to save life. Yeah. And so if he had to deceive or lie, that was more important than... And, right. and so, you know, because I, I believe, that, you know, the Nazis challenged him with that. They did challenge him you with know, that. And, exactly. And, and boy, he had to be really grounded in the word mm-hmm. for that. He had to be yeah. really grounded. You know, let's now take this into this idea that we're what we're this concept that we're dealing with in our times. And this is, um, you know, how does it translate? We're talking about this idea, like I said, of legalism. OK, and that's how this translates in our lives, as we've said before. And I, I want to say something. If the church defines obedience to some of God's commands as legalism, let's say, for instance, the dietary laws. Mm -hmm. Is it such a far cry to claim that other Bible commands, such as those against homosexual behavior, are also obsolete? If Jesus's death wiped out the need to keep kosher laws, then certainly they wiped out those old-fashioned sexual restrictions of every kind. See, that's the slippery slope that Christians don't realize they're opening the door to. I I think I've told you this story before, Kathy, but I was challenged with that by by an atheist who said, um, is it, is, do you consider homosexuality an abomination according to the scripture? I said, yes. He says, well, then why do you eat uh, you know, pork? That's also an abomination. Same word. At, same word. And I looked at him and I said, I don't. That's right. But see, they, they can look at most Christians and say, oh, you see, you, you've got a double standard here. Exactly. But we got the exact no. same word to describe both exactly. of them. Right. Exactly. All right. You know, I want to now talk a little bit about this seeker-friendly church idea that's so popular so popular now and its relationship to the concept of Jeep grace. You know, the purpose of these churches is to make the unchurched, okay, feel more comfortable and maybe make the people in the church feel more comfortable hmm. too. But I want to ask is that's what is that what's supposed to happen in the church that you're supposed to be feeling comfortable? Is that the point? Some people try to tell me that. Yeah. You know, lighten up. You lighten know? up. <laughs> you know, I think we may have gotten the purpose of going to church mixed up with the purpose of going to the spa. You know, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. supposed to make you feel good and feel comfortable, right? right? right. You know, we, we've become so eager to get people in the doors, to build the numbers, that we've lost the focus of the church. It seems to me that the church should be the place where people go to hear the word of God. That's pretty simple. Pretty simple. Okay. Yeah. But I can det- I can testify to this. I mean, I, I don't know how many times in gatherings I would hear the, the phrase coming from uh, one of my peers, yeah, what are you running there? 
What are you running there? As in, as in, you know, it's this is a contest to how many people you can get in the door. What you know? are you running there? You how running many? There? Yeah. <laughs> how many people you got there? Right. Uh-huh. You know, I. I'm not saying that the Word of God can't be comforting to people. Certainly, it most it can be, but it's not just for that. You know, Second Timothy said, "Scripture is God-breathed and useful teach for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness." You know, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Rebuking, correcting. Those aren't comfortable. They're not comfortable. And may I remind our audience once again that when those words were written and they were spoken, there was no such thing as a New Testament. The Tanakh was, existed. The Torah is what is being referenced here. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. That is very important to remember. Yes. So I like this, too, in, in, in Hebrews 4, and it talks about the word is alive. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes. Mm-hmm. Those aren't just, those aren't feel-good, comfortable words. Right. No, that, that's, are, a, that's a sword a, image. That's a flasher image That's a here. slasher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not your day at the spa. Right. <laughs> you know, um, I... I, Gary, you can speak more because you're the pastor. You, you were a pastor, um, just like if, you know, ex-smokers can tell people not to smoke. <laughs> but I would say that if you don't leave church feeling convicted about something, the pastor probably hasn't done his job. Yeah, well, I, I, I can say honestly, I must have been doing, you know, convicting at, at some point because... Then everybody I, just laughed I, away. Well, no, but I, I mean, how many times I was told by people close to me, well, you know, people, people get pounded all week long. They don't need to be... Here. You know, they don't need to hear that on Sunday or Friday night or what, you know, at the time. Right. Probably when I first started, it was Sunday and then we moved to our, to, to Torah observance. And uh, but the same questions would come, you know, they don't, don't want to be don't want to be confronted with that kind of thing. And I'm like, but this is the word of God. That's right. You don't have a beef with me. Exactly. Well, and that's what I was just going to say is you share the word. It's not your opinion that right. this is the word of Gary. That's right. not your opinion. Your opinion doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. But they're not hearing the word of God throughout the week. That's right. Okay? This is the only opportunity mm-hmm. that some of these people are hearing the word For of some, God. Sure. Yeah, so share the word of God and then let the word work as it may, dividing and tearing asunder or mm-hmm. whatever it's going to mm-hmm. do, it's going to do, mm-hmm. you know, but if, but if a pastor's afraid of losing a congregation, afraid of the numbers issue, um, if he tells the truth, I'm afraid they're going to fall into what Paul warned about, uh, in his letter to Timothy. And he said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, Mm -hmm. but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's what we've got, Gary. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly. If, if, if the, if the pastor, the shepherd of the church, the one in the position to share the word, does not do it, then this is what's going to happen. And this is what has happened. It is what has happened. And sadly, I think, I wish we didn't have 
that dynamic where people are so dependent on a pastor where they would yes. do their own reading and 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 learning and and have a, their own relationship with God but sadly we do have that situation so pastors have even more responsibility oh yes this is a great responsibility yeah. you know and if you're a pastor a church leader who's teaching this concept of cheap grace who's teaching forgiveness mm-hmm. without repentance uh, you're sharing a false gospel. Amen. That's all there is to it. Amen. You know, um, and I think that's what we're seeing. Uh, we're seeing it a lot, like I said, in this Dominion theology um, that's becoming popular is all of these um, so-called prophets are, are, are preaching and sharing, and they're not talking at all about repentance. They're talking about overcoming and everything being good and control. You know, we're going to be in control of everything in the world. It's the false prophet, just like the false prophets throughout the entire Bible. Um, if, if repent is not part every single, every single time the pastor gets up there, it's a false gospel. I, I totally agree, Kathy. I think any any prophet, someone who's so-called prophet or a pastor who's not calling people to repentance, it's it's a false gospel. You know, if a church is intent on providing a comfortable atmosphere for a sinner to continue in his sin, the church has lost its saltiness and is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. There is no purpose for the church then at, at all, Agreed. at all. Mm-hmm. And And yet the irony is that I believe, and Gary, I think you'd agree, that we have a generation of people, uh, particularly young people, who recognize that the church is often no different from the world, and thus there's no compelling reason to even attend, right? right? And so thus church attendance has dropped off so much. What's the point of going to church if it's going to be like everything else you do in well, the world? Well, see, that's exactly it. If, if it's got to be different, and and Yeshua said, "Narrow is the way." Right. So this this focus on big numbers yes. is doing the opposite. We should we we should be offering, and and people should be choosing, and it's not going to be the majority. I'm sorry. I mean, for all those people who say that there's just going to be these great revivals, it's not going to be the, it's the majority. Not going to be Yeshua the majority. said, narrow is the way. That's right. And few who find it. That's right. That's right. You know, so, but I think we've got this generation, we know this to be true, that's seeking an identity, but they're looking in all sorts of harmful ways, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because as a church, we're not offering them the identity in Christ that they're supposed to right. have. I think that if, If we were teaching that their identity is in Christ and because of that, their purpose is to pick up their cross and follow follow him. And we actually taught what pick up your cross means. Pick up your cross means sacrificing comfort, sacrificing self for the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. That's a wonderful purpose, Mm -hmm. Gary. Not everybody's going to flock to that, as you said, but those who do are going to grab hold and not let go. There is no greater calling. If we just are honest about what it is, you know, I I just think that's so, I think it's the honesty of that message that people would respond to, especially these younger generations. They're looking for truth. They're looking so desperately. They're so desperately looking for truth. Yes. You know, we, we shouldn't hide from that kind of messaging. Bonhoeffer didn't hide it. He embraced it. We should embrace it. I think that's so important. As a church, we should clearly define the cost of being a disciple to Yeshua, ask people to consider these costs, and then boldly invite them to drop everything and follow him. Amen. 
Thank you, audience. And remember, until next time, what the psalmist said, those who love your Torah have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.